All right, I like to get straight to the point. You know, what's with all the fluff? So if you're ready for a discount, go to Sweet Vibrations, type in Wild Love to get 15% off. But let me tell you why you really, really want this discount. Because Sweet Vibrations has been with us from day one. And can I be straight up with you? It's my favorite way to masturbate. They have my favorite sex toys. But not only that, I love the mission statement behind their company. I'm always talking about sexual wellness and really destigmatizing masturbation because masturbation is a vital part of self-care. And you know what? Self-love. This should really be a part of maybe your daily routine if you're like me or every so often. But this really is a way to show yourself some love. And look, you guys, there's so many health benefits that go along with it. Better immune system. You can sleep better. And it releases all of those feel-good chemicals. It's safe. It's normal. We all do it. It's not weird. So if you're looking for a new sex toy, check out Charmed by Sweet Vibrations. They just came out with this toy. It's super well-engineered, and it's made to flex and fit into any vulva with all the sensations and all the vibrational patterns to really give yourself that big O. So if you want to check out Sweet Vibrations, make sure you use our code WILDLOVE for 15% off. They're at Sweet Vibrations on Instagram or www.sweetvibes.toys. Have some fun. All right, from better sex to stress relief to healing wounds to all of these things, CBD is where it's at, you guys. Some of you guys have already heard me talk about CBD, but this one is my favorite. It's called My Daily Choice CBD, and they have tinctures and topicals and face masks and bath bombs and gummies, basically whatever and however you want to ingest CBD in a really delicious way, they got you. So I want you guys to check them out. I use this absolutely every night before I go to sleep and I travel with it everywhere I go. I am that addicted to CBD. I actually thought that CBD was a joke, to be honest, for a while. And then I started using it on a daily basis and it really does make a difference in how I can relax at the end of the day and how I can sleep. Also, funny story, I burnt my leg recently, so I've been putting my daily choice CBD on my leg, and the inflammation is going way down. So thank you, guys. This is a perfect partnership at the perfect time. And of course, the True Sex and Wild Love listeners, you guys get a special offer. So hell yes, it's a 60-day money-back guarantee. So that's right, 60-day money-back guarantee on any of the products. So head over to bitbit.ly slash T-S-W-L-M-D-C. That's True Sex, Wild Love, My Daily Choice. So one more time, I know it's a mouthful, bit.ly slash T-S-W-L-M-D-C and you get a 60-day risk-free money-back guarantee. Mm, Enjoy, y'all. On this episode of True Sex and Wild Love, I speak with doula, pleasure educator, and black life conservationist Latham Thomas. She's one of the most popular guests we've ever had on our show, and she is back again to talk about owning your glow. It's her new paperback book, but it is also a way of being. She drops a lot of knowledge about the connections between Black Lives Matter, self-care, and just getting your pleasure on and treating yourself like the goddess that you are. Have a listen. And don't worry, Whitney, we'll be back next time. I am so honored to have a guest today who 
is one of the most popular guests we've ever had, the doula, pleasure educator, anti-racism activist, Latham Thomas. Latham, welcome to the show again. Oh my God, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. There are so many reasons this is a perfect moment to have you here. First of all, I got to say, Whitney can't be here today, but um, so I get you all to myself. But um, one of the things that we talked about when we started the True Sex and Wild Love podcast was how important our first invited guest would be and what message we would be communicating with our first invited guest. So the first podcast was you know, Whitney and I doing our first podcast recording ever together and getting our sea legs. The second one was with Whitney's uh, former partner, Aubrey Marcus, to help us uh, reach his audience. But our first actual booked guest was you, Latham. (laughs) (laughs) And there was a reason for that. And the reason wasn't just that you have a big social media following, or you're my friend, or Whitney fell in love with you uh, as well, and the idea of having you on, which those things are all true. But the real reason was we really wanted to communicate that we were the kind of podcast that would have somebody like you on. Wow. Your mission, you know, is so important to us. Um, and we knew that our, it would be important to our listeners. So it's so good to have you back right now to talk about how your mission continues, how it's grown since the last time we had you on. And one of the things I want to celebrate right now in a cultural moment that is very fucked up, coronavirus, systemic racism, police brutality, and violence against Black people. One of the things that I want to celebrate is the release of your paperback, (laughs) Own Your Glow. And I just wanted to say, we need this book so much right now. Mm. We really need this book right now. So let's just start by talking about Own Your Glow. You know, so many people want to know about the journey of our guests, how they got to where they are. I want to talk about what the title Own Your Glow means and how you came up with this book. Yeah, well, first of all, Wednesday, thank you for having me. And Whitney, you're here in spirit. Um, She is. Yeah. And I want to clarify one thing before we get in. Um, And I know that you may see me as an activist, but I don't identify as an activist only because I was sort of brought up in um, a, a culture and a milieu of people who have been persecuted for their work, um, who have to change addresses, who have mm-hmm. to move, who mm-hmm. have to be, who are, you know, always under threat and, um, and their protection is not guaranteed and their safety is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, um, that, you know, while I do organize in a way with the work that we do in, in doula work and in, 
you know, fighting for reproductive justice, I see myself as more of an advocate. And if it, if it comes to this conversation around, um, you know, the, pres- the preservation of Black life, I see myself as like a Black life conservationist. Um, I love that term. Yeah, so that's really my my role, obviously, from the cellular level of, of really wanting for, to protect life. And, you know, um, obviously, we're fighting for life, uh, especially in this moment, um, after the fact. Like, we're really looking at, like, how systems have harmed Black and brown people and how um, individuals have harmed Black and brown people. But um, I want to also bring into this conversation joy and life affirming um it's so right like bringing that yes. in yeah yeah so uh, first of all thank you for that clarification about advocacy versus activism and also you know your point about a black life conservationist um what that means that's something for people to really chew on who are listening right now you know what that means and also you said to me latham that in times of social change we all have our own ministry and i know you said to me wednesday you're not a person who's putting your body out on the street in protest but you still have an important ministry yeah um so thank you for bringing all that together by explaining uh, how you see yourself. I also want to say one other thing about you, which is I think that when we hear the term Instagram influencer, oh God, we yeah we have this we have this automatic we have that response oh God, and we think that's got to be a shallow person that's got to be a person who doesn't believe in the things they're actually promoting that's got to be a person with questionable um commercial motives uh somebody clueless i think that you are adding a whole depth to influence on instagram because part of your ministry if i understand it correctly is education for everybody uh, about the topics that matter for you and to you. And I have learned so much from your Instagram posts. And I just want to urge people right now, if you don't know Latham, uh, one of our most popular guests ever, please just get on her Instagram this instant. Those posts are deep and wise. And I learn something every time. Wow. That means a lot, especially from you, who is a career writer, someone who is deeply researched and whose books have like a third of them are <laughs> citations. Um, <laughs> it means a lot to, to hear that and to be on this journey together. And I'm just thankful to have been part of the community um, over here. And I mean, I listen to the pod, so I'm just grateful to be on too. I probably won't listen to myself though. <laughs> no, you know what? I want you to, but I understand how that is. Look, talking as we're speaking about writing an Instagram post and how Instagram can just be a tremendous educational force really. And you've used it that way. Let's talk now. Let's segue into your writing. Yeah career. And this is not your first book. You wrote um, a book about pregnancy and Own Your Glow now is another book under your belt. And it is a book about 
self-care in a way, but it's about so much more. I just want to read for people the entire title of the book. First of all, it's beautiful. It's hot pink (laughs) with some gold lettering with a giant crown on it. And it tells you where Latham is going. It's called Own Your Glow, A Soulful Guide to Luminous Living and Crowning the Queen Within. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell us, what does it mean to own your glow? Well, I see this as an experience of really being like a fully expressed version of yourself, right? And I guide people through the book um, through three portals, um, evoke, ignite, and embody. And these are sort of portals that we move through as we process the information, move through the exercises, the meditations, uh, the reflections. and It's sort of a companion for anyone who's in their life seeking change and who's stepping into another aspect of themselves, someone who is ready to unfurl themselves and be in the best iteration of themselves, really, right? And to step into that. And, you know, I think we're living in a time where so many of us are fraught with anxiety. We are faced with so much that's that's around us that's has us bound in what I feel like is, is really like despair and a, a sense of doom. Mm-hmm. And what's really needed in this moment, I think is, you know, to, to infuse joy and to reclaim joy as our birthright, because, you know, we, we cannot simply live to exist in a way where we are constantly fraught with struggle. Um, part of our life has right. to be um, deeply enriched and deeply, I think, connected to this idea of, of liberation and of freedom and of safety and security and being supported and community. And, and so I think that to thrive, um, you know, luminous living and stepping into your glow power, I think is really all about defying what society has prescripted for us, right? Like there is a prescription for each of us to turn away from ourselves, to turn away from our bodies, right? Everything in this culture turns us away from our bodies. And this is an invitation to connect deeply with your body, to be deeply connected to who you are, but also who you're becoming. And so it's about a crystallization process. When we think about, you know, um, the journey of a caterpillar to a butterfly, there's a process that's underway, right? And it is about transformation. It is about meditating on what's what's to come. It's it's a meditation on becoming, really, what a butterfly is, is, right? Yeah. And, you know, let me just read from the introduction that you wrote, because you start so many things. Every time I've had a dinner with you um, or you've come over for Shabbat or we sat down to lunch together, you say a prayer, which I love and appreciate so much. And you sort of start Own Your Glow with one of your beautiful prayers May we reclaim the sanctity of our bodies. The world is spawned within each of us. Saluting those living in bondage, may we continue the fight for you. Break the mold and stand firmly in our power to be a force for change. And to those thriving in liberation and using their glow power to be a force for good in this world, to whom much is given, much is expected, may we shine together as women May you be supported and guided by the light. You say, this work, Own Your Glow, is channeled from my soul, birthed 
through my fingertips onto these here pages and dedicated to each of you. Wow. <laughs> and, and your mission. You talked about what Own Your Glow means as a title and as a commitment, right, that we can make to ourselves to own our glow. It doesn't stop with ourselves, you're saying. And it's a process that unfolds over time, which is one of the things that I love about your book, Own Your Glow. You talk about how self-care um, is really much more radical than we've been taught to believe. It's a force for personal change, but also for social change. Um, so can you walk us through you know, your mission to bring self-care to other people? How did you personally come to this mission? And what is the definition of self-care for you? You know, I think about self-care. I just like look at the landscape we're in now, right? And how over the past few years, we've been sort of inundated with imagery on Instagram for like people outdoing themselves with bubble baths and, you know, trip right, right. abroad and like who can like nap the best in a hammock and all these kind of images that really show sort of what we believe leisure to be. And um, I think that um, what we've moved away from is like sort of the roots of this practice and what makes it so powerful and potent. You know, yeah. I grew up in a family where I watched the women who came before me, you know, as they combed their hair, as they anointed their skin, as they, you know, took these, these, these moments of um, self-relishing and self-affirming um, to kind of show up in ritual every day. So I would see how my, I knew what my grandmother was going to do. I could anticipate her next step in her ritual when I would watch her get ready for the evening, mm. you know, or mm. my mother. And my mom is someone who was getting massages every Wednesday night when I was a kid. And so that was a clear signal to me of, you know, how she took care of herself with the stress of raising two girls as a single mother. Um, and she was the first person to buy me a massage table, actually, when I was an adult for one of my birthdays. I still have it. Oh, yeah. nice gift. Yeah, amazing gift, right? And so, um, you know, I think that what we've moved away from, though, is the idea that it is not something that you just do. It's also what you don't do, right? Self-care is mm -hmm. checking in with yourself on a moment-to-moment -moment basis and really asking yourself, like, what is needed in this moment? Like, what do I need to feel supported in this moment, right? And so yeah. when I think about that, it might mean I need a nap. It might mean I need to log off of, of social media. It might mean uh, a Amen. walk. It might mean I need to call a girlfriend. It might mean me ranting, like whatever it is, but, but figuring <laughs> out, right? Figuring out what that is and attending to that need. And so when you learn how to um, assess your needs and anticipate your needs, that is actually moving in alignment with your self-care practice, your individual practice, right? That makes sense for you. And it's also part of a larger lineage of practices that, that um, really that come from um, folks from movement building traditions. You know, if we see people like, um, you know, the Black Panther Party had in mm -hmm. Oakland, California, they had started these, um, these survival programs and the survival programs were actually rooted in self-care. So they had acupuncture, they had 
um, yoga, they had meditation, and these were all offerings for the community that were for free. And so, but guess for why? There was so much that people were up against in their community. There was so much violence. There was there was so much that they had to deal with, you know, from the state. That this was a way to affirm and to sort of find your way back to self after dealing with all of the onslaught of the lived experience of racism, right? So when we think about people who really need this practice, it's the people who are most under attack, right? Who need self-care. It is is those people who need to return home to their bodies. and Return home to their bodies. Right. And the, yeah. And, you know, I love, Latham, that you're bringing it back to the Black Panthers. And also, if correct me if I'm wrong, along with the Black Panthers, then about a decade later, Audre Lorde mm-hmm. became such a great proponent for the self-care movement and what it meant I as mean, a Black woman yes. with breast cancer who was underserved by and, and poorly served um, by medical institutions as Black people have historically for centuries. So it I don't think people know about the revolutionary origins of self-care. There's a great article by Nicole Stamp. If people want to Google that, in addition to buying Own Your Glow, to understand really that self-care comes from this tradition of disenfranchised people saying we have to do this revolutionary act of taking care of ourselves because institutions are failing us. Mm -hmm. And we have a fraught relationship with institutions. If you think about, you know, I mean, Audre Lorde, yes. I mean, read everything Audre Lorde, by the way. Like, so get off of here and go and put everything in your, in your, um, Google cart or whatever it is, Amazon cart, because I mean, you'll have a lifelong journey of learning through her lens. Right. But, um, I would say, you know, we have had this, this fraught relationship with the medical system because the, the rudiments of the medical system were, were based in and are still very much based in, um, harm that was done to uh, black and brown people. Also, at the time, you know, when our system was just like nascent, when we talk about obstetrics and, and gynecology, you know, it was black bodies and also Irish women, you know, who were experimented mm-hmm. upon. And so, um, without anesthesia, no anesthesia, no consent, right? So, so there's a reason why people don't want to go to the doctor. There's a reason why people feel uh, that there's this per- perpetual right. sort of, um, you know, fraught relationship that we have with providers that people are seeking. And certainly in our work, we seek to, to rebuild that, um, that trust and we seek to find options, providers um, out of hospital mm-hmm. uh, options mm-hmm. for people too, who are in this, on this continuum specifically for birth. But I think for, for people who are um, coming to this dialogue to understand that Again, there are so many people who don't feel at home in their bodies. And that's the invitation is to sort of repair mm-hmm. that wound, right? And really yeah. learn that our bodies are a safe, that we can become the safe space, right? I, I love that we can become the safe space. You know, so thank you so much for underscoring for our many listeners who practice self-care, the historical origins of it. Um, how historically it has served people who weren't served, who were underserved, who were misserved, who were abused by medical traditions and institutions. 
And then something happened with self-care. And I feel like you push back against this, but self-care was kind of co-opted by a largely white for-profit wellness industry at a certain point. And I always want to say to the people who are listening and who follow us that when you're practicing self-care, um, does it make sense? And how can you build into your self-care practice an acknowledgement a thanks to the people upon whose tradition self-care is built, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're Instagramming your photo of yourself in a bathtub with candles, could, I hope that you're saying thanks to and understanding your indebtedness to the Black Panther Party, uh, to Audre Lorde, and to generations of Black women who had to instill in their daughters and sons a sense, you matter, taking care of yourself matters, because the world wasn't saying that to them. Mm. I only learned about self-care through my Black girlfriends, Latham. I know you, you always remind Thank people you. that on the pod. I, I mean, every time that it comes up, you remind people that. And I think it's great that you lean into that because it's important for people to re- recall who their teachers are, right? Like who, who are their elders in certain areas of their lives, right? And I know that each of us, no matter where we fall generationally, no matter where we fall on our time horizon on this planet, there are people like my son is one of my teachers, right? Like you were one of my teachers. There's many cultures that show up for us. And so, and it is important to speak their names and speak blessing over them, but also to speak to what it is that they have shared with you. Because as you know, so much of the work of um, black and brown people is erased, right? And, And the impact and the imprint that they've made in the world is erased. And so when, when you speak this aloud, you remind people that you have, um, that there are voices and, and people and concepts and information that you've been able to benefit from and that it's actually, that, and it, and that you and your experience also validate that work. Not that it needs to be validated, but that, you know, living in a system where we're constantly invalidated, it, it sort of, you know, it reinforces the, the opposite of what we're trying to, to um, dismantle, right? Like it reinforces what we want to see more of, which is, um, you know, positioning, con- con- um, preserving these uh, voices and lifting them versus disappearing them. So I love that you bring that up in, 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 in context. I hear you share like how you've learned this or you talk to this person or that person. And I think that is so um, I would like to see more leaders, you know, speak about the folks that they learn from, right? Because yeah, people make it seem like they just showed up in the world and <laughs> you know what I mean. And suddenly, and there, like, and there was self care, right, right, and there was self care, right? It was just there. So when you, when listeners and followers, when you're doing your self care practice, maybe begin every time with an invocation um, of the people upon whose practices your self-care practice um, is built and just a thanks to them as an opener to every self-care practice. Um, I think that would be amazing. Beautiful. And Latham, now let's segue into actual self-care practices, which you really helped me have one. Mm. So I want to thank you for that. Um, you really helped me hone it, build it into my life. When 
And I want everybody to know, Own Your Glow is one of my Bibles. It is, I have a very select, uh, slim collection of books on my nightstand that I read over and over. Um, one is um, The Pocket Pema Children. And one is On Your Glow. And it has been by my bedside since it came out in paperback. I have, since it came out in hardcover, excuse me, I have purged so many books from my nightstand. This, I don't need this. That On Your Glow has survived the purge, you know, (laughs) at least 50 times. Um, So let's talk about what's actually in this book. You said that it's divided into three parts. And let's talk about, I want to go, I I like to be taught by the master. Can you tell us what, for example, this is a very busy time for you. Um, Your paperback is out. You are attending to your ministry to educate people about systemic racism. Uh, You are helping fight against the black maternal health crisis. You are finding time for joy, joy in parenting, joy in educating doulas, joy in sexual pleasure, if I know you, joy in um, nourishing your body every day. Tell us what uh, you've, I know you're focused on getting through the pandemic, just like we all are with your mind and your body healthy and intact and joyful. So tell us what a typical day of self-care for you looks like, will you please? How, how do you build it into your day-to-day stressful life? And what does it look like when you set aside your time and say, now is time for my self-care rituals? First of all, I love that. Um, I mean, for me, it's just been really joyful to be home. And I realize that I have a privilege of, of being in a home where there's space and where I'm safe and I'm with oh, safe yeah. people. And, um, yeah. and so, you know, I already just give thanks for that because many people don't have that. Um, there's access to food and you start um, with gratitude, basically. You know? So I just, you know, and my son is here and he's safe. And I think that the biggest, um, relief that I've had is that I know where my son is 24 hours a day in quarantine. And he's 16 oh, years old. Oh, can we old. talk about this for a minute? Yeah. We need to roll that back. You did a post about this recently. I'm also a mom mm-hmm. of two boys, mm-hmm. an 18-year-old and a 12-year-old. And you did a post that underscored the difference between the experience that somebody like me has, I'm a white mom, and the experience that black moms have, particularly black moms of boys, but black moms in general. Yeah. And you brought it home so hard and so beautifully because you talked about feeling you could relax for the first time because your son was at home. White moms, listen to me right now. Black moms live in a lot of fear. There's a lot of joy. There's there's the connection that all moms have in hope for their kids. But the black maternal experience is really different because of racism. Just talk about that feeling of safety that you've had in quarantine, Latham, and how different it is. And help our listeners who may never have considered it understand it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, it's just what you said. It's that, you know, when my son leaves the house, whatever time of day it is, I am not settled until he's home. Like I don't worry the whole time, but I'm a, I'm acutely aware that he's not nearby. And so your, your nervous system is on alert. Your, oh, your, yeah, your nervous alert. system is online, yeah, online yeah. in a way that a white mom's just doesn't have to be in the yeah, same way. Like some people, you know, like I'll say, oh, well, let him go to the store. I'm like, well, I got to go with him to the store. Oh, let him go. And I'm like, well, I got to walk with him. And so it's like this idea that, you know, he can't do certain things alone, you know, go to certain neighborhoods alone. Um, right. It, you know, or be kind of uh, in an area where there's heavy policing. Cause you know, um, our neighborhood mm-hmm. is surveilled. Right. And so it's like, you don't, it's not that I don't trust him or trust that he's been raised well, no. that our village has raised him well. I believe that, um, you know, my son is someone who's really trustworthy. It's really the system. Right. And it's the thing. It's the system. Yeah. So, so, the, so and let's say threat. about your son. Yeah. Let's just quickly say about your son. He is six, two, six, four. He is yeah. Six, four now. Is he 15? Latham? 16 going to be 17. Oh my gosh, I missed a year there. He's 16 going on 17. He is uh, an accomplished musician. He is 6'4". He is biracial and he is vulnerable to police harassment and violence as a a black young man. Yeah. So go on. Yeah. So I think, you know, with that sort of in the backdrop with everything that's happening, you know, you just want them close. And so I think that this time has been amazing, just waking up, having all of our meals together, you know, helping with homework if there's anything to help with, and then listening to music. And not we just did a lot to together, and it was amazing. He um, just not worried. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, not, not worried, worried right? He's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's your nervous system with that now? Have you noticed differences in... I mean, and how you're feeling. it's really just my sleep that's really sound when he's here. Even if he goes to his dad's house, I'm still alert, right? So um, yeah. I think that the sleep has been really good because he's home. But I would say in the past few weeks with the, you know, with the murder of George Floyd and then sort of the culmination of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor's um, cases mm-hmm. as well, all of this sort of culminating in a huge moment that resulted in global protest and and real like beginnings of the seeds of change, you know, started to happen. I think that I'm like also fried from that, right? Because I believe that, you know, it's not just what I'm doing, but everything that's around me too. And so one of the things that was really helpful was we as a family would go down to, there was a silent protest that we would go to in our neighborhood that was nightly. And then um, I participated in some protests, which I found that I was actually feeling more uh, grounded afterwards. Um, mm. Yeah, like it was miles and miles of walking and it's in the sun, and, you know, but it, it's like it just was something about it was really like deeply um, moving in a way, not just the, 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 the act of the participation, but I think there was something that like actually left my system by, by being present in that moment. Um, you know, when we're all in the house, you know, everyone really for three months or so. And then we're finally in the streets and we're in the streets with this purpose. I think it's done something to, 
you know, serve as almost like a little bit of a healing balm, you know, to, to be in community with others around um, a very specific cause and, and also mm-hmm. around very specific uh, pain points, right? So that's been um, interesting too for my practice to, to be a part of protest. Um, you said something, Latham, sorry to interrupt. I want you to keep going about your self-care process right now and your rituals. But you said when you went out, you did an Instagram live and you said people need to understand that for a lot of us who have been homebound for so long and have been witnessing brutality um, and systemic racism, for a lot of us going out into a protest situation feels like a hug. It feels good to be out among people and not alone in this moment. And I loved how you reframed the protest that way and made us think about just what we get from proximity with purpose with other people. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think people need that right now. People need to feel connected and they seek that connection. And so, yeah, this moment offers that, right? It offers an opportunity uh, for for connection and um, you know, people are coming together in the streets, meeting people, you know, sharing. Um, I, I see people like they'll have their car parked out and they'll have cases of bottled water and they'll just be like handing it out to protesters. They'll have bananas. It's like when someone runs a marathon, the same type of support is there, right? And so I see right. this kind of collective the support action, is there when right? this is a marathon. This is a marathon, exactly. And so it's like, yeah, this is. Yeah. So the action I think is there where everyone's showing up, everyone's committed. I've seen a lot of people on, I've seen both sides, right? Like I've seen primarily in the the experiences I've been a part of where it's been intergenerational, it's been supportive, it's been, you know, and I, I feel like, I don't like this idea of like peaceful, like versus like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's an expression, right? And it's designed, right. it's designed to ignite change. And so I don't know, um, you know, the, the actions that led to people going in the streets were not peaceful actions. So I don't, I don't think that we should be sort of putting like value judgments on how people show up to protest. I think it's also an an opportunity for people to emote. And so that is not always going to (laughs) be, that's going to be however that comes out. And so the protest offers a container for that, for that anger, for that energy, um, and I think that's important. And I don't think that, you know, I, I feel like people try to, well, if it's, if it's disruptive or if it's inconvenient <laughs> or if it's like, well, social, social change is inconvenient and disruptive. That's right. It's supposed to be, you know, I keep saying like them, I keep saying, I don't know where white people and the media got this idea that the radical redistribution of privilege is going to be aesthetically pleasing to them or is going to go exactly the way they want. I mean, I love your point that people bring a disruptive revolutionary energy to these protests. And so there, there's going to be a whole range of protest strategies of expression. I mean, I, I so agree with your point. Thank you so much for underscoring that. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So protest can be part of self-care and is part of yours for sure. Yeah. I mean, in this moment, I would say in general, I would just assess to see how I feel, right? Like it, it became clear to me 
through meditation. It became clear to me through some of the other experiences that I needed to be elsewhere. Like um, I needed to, Mm -hmm. I needed to be in, in a group of people and I needed to travel and we needed to shout and we need, right. So I knew that I had to go elsewhere as well. So I don't think Mm -hmm. that it's always that. I think that it depends on what the moment calls for. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think there's all different types of ways to be aligned with, um, with action. And so, and I'm really clear that like my purpose is to uh, stay healthy so that I can do the, the continued work that I was set on this, this earth to do, which is about education, is about um, empowering and not like that I'm handing over power, but that I'm making sure that people have access in, to the things that I've had access to, that I can help open a door and keep it open and hold it open for more people to come in. And so I know that for me to be able to continue my work, I have to be healthy. So I'm really clear that my physical body cannot be in, uh, in the place of, of harm. So I know I have to be in situations where I'm safe and, and I, right. So I'm really clear that that's like, part of my work is, is to, and I know other people are like, no, I'm here on the front lines to get whatever is coming my way. And that's part of this, this moment. Um, but I know that my, my energy is, is served, um, continuing to do the work that is fighting in another way, uh, the injustices that we see in healthcare and that we see, um, that face, uh, the communities of color, particularly black women. So I know I have to continue in, in this fight. So, yeah. so yeah, so I'm really, I'm really clear about like how much time I spend out and, and where I go and, and, and where, you know, like how I can be safe in that effort. But that's one piece of it. And I would say like really yeah. all of the practices that I've cultivated over the years are for these moments. You know, when we talk about meditation mm-hmm. we talk about yoga, we talk about mindfulness, all of these tools are for this moment. You know, it's not so that you can go and sit in a class for 90 minutes and then come out and be an asshole. You know what I mean? It's for you to sit in that class for 90 minutes and now that your yoga studio is closed for COVID, that you are practicing yoga off the mat. It is for you to, in this moment, have your meditation practice that awakens you to the calling and, and, and really the deep opportunity for you to show up and what that means in this moment and how you'll do that. It is for you to also clear your, um, your nervous system and realign it, recalibrate it so that you can meet this moment. Um, because for us to show up and be in a, in a position to offer ourselves in, in, in the movement in any way, but also to seek justice, we have to rest to do so. We have to we have, recalibrate yeah, to do so. Yeah. Re- recuperate, right? And so you said, you know, that part of your ministry to serve other people is that you have to remain healthy mentally healthy, spiritually healthy, emotionally healthy, mentally healthy. And you serve other people so much, Latham, and so tirelessly. Take us through the rest of the aspects of your self-care that are keeping you healthy in all those different ways right now. You you told us a couple. Yeah. What 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 tell us what a day, you know, what a day is like for you, whether it's during these times of pandemic and protest, um, 
or during more regular times? What what are the consistent things from Own Your Glow? Because um, you get into it so much in Own Your Glow about the rituals to build into your day. What Tell listeners a few things and, and talk about personally what else you're doing these days. Yeah, so some of the favorite um, practices that I lean into right now um, one is uh, vocal meditation that I do daily, which is, you know, using um, my voice to essentially provide a maternal, an internal massage for my organs. And so what people don't tend to understand a lot about energy is that like we create our own source of, of energy from within and our nervous systems are actually entrained with sound. And so if we think about like sound really just modulates all of our systems. Um, We have vibrational energy that can be healing for us. And so I use the vibration of my voice through um, a vocal meditation practice called toning. And then I use that to kind of go through um, song, but activating the throat chakra, activating every single organ in my body through sound right and so i use yeah i know nothing about vocal meditation i think you mentioned it to me one time but this this is another thing that people might not be familiar with go on please yeah so then i use um the instruments including my voice so i might use other sound um devices that have like a drone sound to help mm-hmm. carry that sound. And, and so I'll do this and it creates almost like this like beautiful sound vacuum where I can be chanting, but really it's just making sounds, which, I, which are like kind of like a medicine melody. And it just, whatever comes up, I do that. And um, I do that practice and that awakens my body. And I do that in the morning. I'll do that sometimes just like I have a roof. And so I like to be at the highest okay. point so I could be near the, the sun. So I'll be up in the morning and then, um, how many minutes is your vocal meditation? I don't know how many minutes. Cause I don't time. Mm-hmm. I just, I just sort of let it happen until I'm done. And, and then it just, right. I just end. But, um, yeah, I don't time myself so much as I just, um, let myself get to a place where I start to feel buzzing through my body. And then I, then I feel into that. And then I, um, and then I, you know, start my day, but I'll do that. I'll do, um, sometimes a walk or a run, you know, feels really good, um, to Mm -hmm. when it's still quiet outside, um, gardening and cooking has been really amazing for me. I love cooking. I love sprouting. So we always have different types of sprouts, um, in the house. I love growing things. I grew up in California. So everything I'm, I'm always, um, I'm always brought to back to like, you know, center when I'm doing anything with the earth. And I'm also an earth sign, you know, astrologically, um, a Taurus with a Libra rising and Sag moon. So I feel really good. <laughs> I feel really good when I'm like with the earth. And, and another practice that I do love that I engage in also, um, which is um, barefoot grounding. Um, some people call it earthing. Um, and I love, I love this practice because you're barefoot and don't do it in New York city on the asphalt. Like I'm not asking you to, right. I'm okay, asking you to do this practice in actual soil. Okay. Find some grass, find some grass, but get, because there's microbes, right. There are, there are microorganisms that are inside of the soil beds that actually provide 
um, energy, information, um, we are electrically charged and we get electrical charge from the earth. And so if you think about when we were kids and we were always barefoot in the grass, we were never sick as kids, right? Because again, we were getting all these nutrients and information from the soil. And so yeah. it's really healing, especially if you're someone who has chronic pain. Um, if you can get to a place where you can lie your body, not like with clothes on either, like you got to do this to where you're like stripped down a little bit, but lie your body um, into the ground, right? There is healing offered up to you by connecting. It's like, it's about, it's like letting yourself be swaddled by mother earth in that way um, mm -hmm. to provide healing, especially when you have chronic pain, like joint pain and stuff like that can be really helpful for people um, who have, have conditions like that, like arthritis. Um, but it's something that I do that I enjoy doing is, um, is like, yeah, upcharging from the earth and, and then just like being there to repot plants or to um, grow plants. Um, I mean, all of that feels really good to me in a time like this, especially in this season. So, um, yeah. yeah, those are the things I, I would suggest. Can I say something about the science behind that, Latham, too? Um, because for people who are listening and say, what does that mean to be recharged by the earth, grass, the soil? You know, there is an idea in science, it's called the hygiene hypothesis. And it's that our immune systems have basically been impoverished by not enough exposure um, to nature, um, to dirt, um, that we are overly clean and that it is, there are studies linking it to everything um, from depression and anxiety schizophrenia. So people listening, you might want to Google the hygiene hypothesis and hear about the science behind Latham's idea about um, exposure to the outdoors. There's a tradition in Japan called forest bathing, where you get outside, you get into nature. And we have science that tells us that that can lower our cortisol levels, lower anxiety and enhance immune function. Um, my sons have a pediatrician who is, you know, very traditional, very science bound, never into anything woo woo. And he said to me about my kids when they were little Latham, to your point, he said, you know, I'm thinking that all these kids in the city, we need to start something called dirt therapy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Where so so thank you for for that idea about getting outdoors um and and being part of the dirt ecology. Yeah. It's really important and people will have it in the show notes too. So I love that this is part of your self-care practice and you're telling people get out in nature, get your hands dirty. Um God, and you say that gardening is very therapeutic for you and can be a great part of a self-care practice. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the other thing. I know you're very, you grew up um, garden to table and farm to table and with a locavore diet. Part of what you get into in Own Your Glow that I love so much is easy recipes. Mm -hmm nourishing yourself. Can you talk about that a little bit? Literally, you're talking about self-care practices that nourish in other ways. And now can we talk about food a little bit? What, what are you eating daily? 
And in Own Your Glow, I love the easy, accessible recipes and all the science that you put into it, all the research that's behind these things that taste delicious and nourish us physically and emotionally. Tell us about, you know, your your cooking practices and, and nutrition and how it's part of your self-care and needs to be part of ours. Yeah. So um, thank you for that. I, you know, I became um, vegan when I was like 14, right? And so my mother had to learn how to make things for me when there was, when it wasn't popular. And I had to learn to cook, which I watched all the women in my family, like my mother, my grandmother, my aunt cook. And I learned how to adapt certain recipes so that I could have the things that I really enjoyed, but prepared plant-based. And I didn't eat a lot, you know, up, as I was growing up, I wasn't, you know, we didn't have this heavy diet in, in animal products, but I still, you know, I still knew that like, as I was navigating the, the options that were in the home, that there were things that I could still have. And um, if my mom and I figured out a way to make them um, vegan. And so she was making stuff way before it was popular, you know, to have, um, like <laughs> vegan enchiladas and all these kind of things. She was doing really cool and, and cre- be in a creative way. Um, when I was like 14. Right. And so this is side, so sidebar about your mom. Terry Danziger has been doing so many things before anybody else oh, yeah. did them. And, and that's why she's your mom. Yeah, she's, Shout out to her. She's, she was, yeah, she's been on a wave for, for a long time. So yeah, she was, she was always like, you know, let's find the way to, to make this um, accessible for you and, um, and so that you can continue to grow and all that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think for me, as I, as I see this moment that we're in now, right, where people were forced to be in their homes and because they were seeing it as that, right? Not as an opportunity, but being forced into their homes and not mm-hmm. being able to go to restaurants and all these things. It's like now people have to figure out how to cook. And for the first time, people were learning to cook for the first time. And so my my invitation in this book is is to, you know, like, again, to yourself, come home to yourself, be with yourself, learn these practices for yourself. And so cooking is something that you can do in community. It's something that we evolved in community. And so I encourage, there's one part of the book where I encourage um, you to be in, in the home and do a dinner party and, and find a way to incorporate foods that are you know, that feel um, connected to your ancestral traditions and foods that are seasonal and foods that are um, vibrant. And I talk about all the qualities that we should seek in our foods that can provide us with the nourishment that we need. And so, I mean, I think everybody has to make the choice about what makes sense for them. But what I do know is when you choose an option that feels good, it starts to become the only choice, right? And so I think that our culture has really relied upon um, sending us messages about like the, the the foods that we eat and the food products that we should, you know, have be, be uh, ingesting. And some of those are supplements, some of those are packaged goods. But really, if you go into some of these markets, like go to the farmer's market, go to your supermarket, even go to your local corner store, right? Like there is vibrational energy in our food, right? And so we want right. to get actual 
Like you don't, you don't see commercials and billboards for certain fruits and vegetables because they don't need them. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just amazing. So, so start to get familiar with food. And one of the things that I invite people to do is, you know, um, to experiment, like get something that's really, that's um, that you're unfamiliar with. And, you know, maybe you can Google a recipe or ask a friend or even call a relative and say, like, do you have a dish? You know, I feel like I remember tasting this at your house. What was that? And try it. Right. So so experiment and, and start to get familiar with and comfortable with with dishes. And, um, you know, because I think what we, we tend to lean on is, you know, like um, this idea of like recipes and strict cooking. But this is like a really intuitive cooking journey that I invite people on where you get to find your way, you get to season your way, you get to make it taste your way, put less of that if you don't like it, more of that if you do, right? And so it's got to be more about like what what you feel um, your needs are versus what it looks like in the cookbook, right? And so I love that's that. important. I love, yeah, I love that distinction. And I love the way in Own Your Glow in the section about food rituals, you talk about connecting to ancestral conditions. Uh, sorry, to your ancestral traditions. You talk about food as an opportunity for community, even if we can't all be eating together right now, mm-hmm. say, to reach out to people. Um, and then the other thing that I think is so great is you you challenge people a little bit and you challenge us to get out of our um, established food patterns. And you, you basically say that it's not just good for your body, but it's good for your brain that that to change up the foods that you're eating, um, to have different taste experiences. To you have always encouraged me to cook with spices mm-hmm. that I wouldn't that I wouldn't normally use and food ways that I wouldn't normally use. You got me into curries. Um, <laughs> And you got me out of my zone. And you talk about how people tend to, especially people when they're trying to take care of themselves, you say that we get into kind of rigid patterns like this is this is the healthy breakfast. And you're saying basically there's a whole array of those options. So for people who are in, what could we say, people who are um, in a rut, mm-hmm, in a food rut, mm-hmm. you guys, you're going to find a lot of really cool easy recipes in Own Your Glow, which is now available in paperback. And it's not just going to be healthy for your body. It's going to be healthy for your brain because Latham pushes you to try new things and expand your palate and that that's part of your self-care, right? So thank you for that. I love that part of your mission. I I am very aware of how busy you are. I want to talk to you all day. Get to talk to you enough or see you enough. I know, but that's because of COVID. That's because of COVID. But oh, we're gonna have so much fun when when I can have you over again. I know, you guys. When we can go back outside, it's about to be lit. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out when we stay and we can actually Mm -hmm. sit together. I know. I want people. I want people to know that uh, in addition to being able to buy Own Your Glow in paperback. They can also pick up your wisdom on social media. You are a genius at this. You are an Instagram influencer who gives new meaning to what that means. So tell people where they can find you on social, Latham. That is so funny to hear. Um, I'm at Glow Maven on Instagram. It's just G-L-O-W-M-A-V as in Victor, V-E-N. 
So Glow Maven and um, mamaglow.com and on Instagram at mamaglow as well. Um, I did want to say one thing also about the, the food that you said um, about just like slowing down and ritual, you know, not just preparation, but also in the consumption and the act of, you know, receiving the, the gift mm. of the meal. And I wanted to say something about also this, you know, there's like a, a recipe that I have for um, like a golden milk tea because I really love warm things at night, especially. And what I love about like tea and hot foods, for instance, is that like you can't, you can't move fast when something's hot, right? Like if you have a, a hot beverage in your hand, um, you can't really move. <laughs> it. Hey, you got to slow down and it forces you to. And so I would say that like, you know, um, if you look at a lot of the traditions to that, that we look to for mindfulness, many of the foods that we eat um, from those cultures are warm, right? And so um, think about like what you can do if you want to start to, you know, engage in a practice that's more mindful around your meals, right? Mm. Like think about the warm foods that you can bring in to like inspire the idea of slowing down. Think about warm teas and how those can help you to, to unwind and slow down at night, right? And so that you can kind of be in a, in a, in a moment with yourself with this tea or a moment with yourself that's and a so friend and with this tea, right? And so I just wanted to underscore that is, is part, not just like what you're eating, but like how you're engaging in the experience of, of mindfully showing up to this moment, right? Whether it's a meal, whether it's a cup of tea, whether it's a conversation, you know, I think that this moment that we're in where we're separated from people kind of, you know, opens up for us an opportunity to expand our consciousness and also address like, you know, where we can, can lean into new patterns, right? Because we have the time to, to kind of practice them. That's such a great point. And I have to tell people who are listening, you are the person, Latham, who taught me that when I am drinking a cup of tea, which I do often, I love tea. I'm a tea drinker. So good. You taught me, Wednesday, that's an opportunity for a ritual. You're not just drinking a cup of tea. Turn that into a ritual. And you taught me that that will be better for my body and for my mind. And, you know, for people who are not open to that, I can say that there is a, a, a mountain of data about mindfulness practices when you're doing everything from meditating to drinking a cup of tea to being in a conversation with somebody. We have lots of data supporting all the benefits, um, you know, the scientifically proven benefits to these practices. So there's so much wisdom in your book, Latham. There's so much wisdom in your advice. Um, there's so much wisdom on your Instagram page. And I just want to, so I want to tell everybody again, at Glow Maven on Instagram, she's the deepest uh, influencer in a meaningful way that you'll find, I think, on Instagram. And the other thing I want to say in closing, Latham, um, is that, you know, you have taught me in dark moments to look for positive things, which, you know, it almost sounds insipid, be more optimistic, but you taught me there's a really deep benefit 
in a gratitude process and, and, and in a gratitude practice. And, you know, we want these podcasts to be evergreen, but we always have to talk about the cultural moment. And it is a time where there's, it's such a perfect moment for own your glow because there's protest, um, that is signaling maybe we'll have real comprehensive change in this country. And you've talked about, you know, how protests can be part of self-care, whatever your ministry is, whether it's to be on the street or to be educating or any of the many ways we can advocate um, for black lives and black joy. Um, But today, well, right now, you know, it's pride month and we Mm -hmm. just, as I'm talking to you, had this wonderful Supreme Court ruling extending the protections of Title VII to mean that discriminating on the basis of sex is, you know, not legal, uh, not just in terms of whether somebody's a woman or a man, but whether they're transgender or LGBTQ. That is a really great thing. And you have taught me that in the darkest moments to look to moments like that and to really celebrate them. So I'm so glad to be here with you, to have had this time with you, to have let our listeners have time with you on an historic day and an historic time and just show the link between your self-care mission and all the changes we're seeing right now. I, first of all, thank you. And thank you also for bringing up just the fact that, you know, we are in this month of pride and that, you know, we learn so much about family and uh, connection and support and community from our LGBTQ plus family members who, who are here to not only help us expand the lens on what's possible, but also to uh, continue to fight alongside them and and make their journey um, also something that we center as important to fight for. Because I think what really gets mixed up for a lot of people is that if it's not something that I am directly connected to, if it doesn't affect me, I'm not going to stand up and fight. And for all of us to be liberated, we have to fight for all of us, right? And if if our LGBTQ plus um, family are not liberated, then we all can't be liberated. And so, you know, with, with the recent deaths in the trans community, I think there's so much pain. And this month is always one of celebration of joy. It's, it's fun, you know, and right now, obviously we're all in the house because it's quarantine. Um, when I think about, you know, this, this idea of, of this month too, and I think about the rainbow and I think about, um, color, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I think about the, like what we learn in science about, about, you know, uh, the color spectrum. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I think that I wanted to, to bring into the conversation, which I think is something that we always think about, like, you know, people talk about these moments being dark and you just reference the darkness. And, and when I hear that, you know, I know that like, we're always afraid of it. We're afraid of the mysterious pull of the darkness. We're ashamed of the dark because we've learned that it's bad, right? And we learn it's also associated with certain groups of people. And so mm-hmm. in elementary school, I, re- I, rem- I recall sort of this lesson that um, black is the absence of light, 
right? And along the visible spectrum that, you know, white reflects light and is the presence of all colors, but black absorbs light and is absence of color. And I was like, wow, you know, like I was like, well, I'm called black, right? And so um, I was raised by this woman, my mother, who taught me that blackness is a light of the world. And so when I hear this word darkness, I see it as a place where we can find immense power, we can find grace. I see it as a place where the soil nourishes root systems. I see it as a place where babies are spun into life inside of the womb. I see it as a space where nighttime allows us to dream and and renew ourselves to wake up again in the light. I see it as part of this cosmic order that darkness is is really about divinity. Darkness is divine. And so I think even in this moment that's really challenging for us that we might recognize uh, through our consciousness as darkness because that's sort of like the, the that's the imprinting, right? And which is also connected to deep systems of, of, of oppression, right? And, and acknowledging that something that's bad is dark. We have to flip that and also understand that this darkness and, and this, this moment that people are associating with darkness is really about resilience. It's really about trailblazing that is happening, that's advancing us and that's getting us out of a space where we have been, um, where we have been really dormant, right? And we are now, everyone's awakened. And there's this collective movement forward, I think, to sow seeds of change. And so I see this moment as the, the dark is the fertile soil that will birth the, the new vision for the future, because that is our commitment. That is my commitment is to build the future. And so I see this moment as like, we are sowing seeds. And when we come on the other side of this and the light is shining, those motherfuckers are gonna sprout. I don't think there could be any better place to end than that with that reframing and that nod to the deep radical potential of self-care, Latham, and how self-care is a form of activism. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you. And look at us. This is what we do, too. We have like three different endings of this podcast. (laughs) Of course. Right? Because we weren't weren't done yet. You weren't done yet. And just before we go, these ideas, Latham's ideas, you can find more of them in Own Your Glow. It's available in paperback. It is a book that will inspire you and literally change your life. So I encourage all of you, order it this minute and follow Latham at Glow Maven on Instagram. This minute, it's going to be an inspiration and education. Oh my gosh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Good luck with the book. And thank you for being my guide and our guide. Always, Latham. I love you. Love you too. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, it would help us a lot if you would leave a review. Yeah, leave a review, subscribe. We want to know how you guys felt about the episode. It really helps us out a lot to continue the success of the podcast and keep spreading our message.